Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Everything From Nothing, the Waterloo Road podcast. This is episode two of series two of the show. I am your Waterloo Road superfan, Tom Beasley, and I am with Luke Stevenson, your not Waterloo Road superfan, although I kind of feel like we're getting there. No. <laughs> the one-two of this, se- this series has really, <laughs> really stopped me in my tracks. Also, like... We're 12 episodes in, 10 episodes into the show. 10 episodes in. They still have not said everything from nothing. <laughs> You've sold me down a river with this name. I wanted Epirode by Epirode. <laughs> it was on the banner in that one episode that we've seen. In the, in the first episode of series two, they have a new like mosaic with a school motto on it. And that's in Latin. So we have not seen the words written in English or heard out loud yet. And you wanted to hook the name of the podcast on it. It's just... <laughs> Look, I just really didn't want Epirode by Epirode. <laughs> well, you didn't have to lie. <laughs> one day, one person is going to tweet us and say, I wish it was called Epirode by Epirode. One day, one person is going to tweet us. <laughs> Send it to- well, I'll have you know, so... It was, uh, as we said on the previous one, we're recording this kind of a couple of weeks after the first episode went out. And I, I put it on Facebook and received a message from literally two friends saying, can't wait to listen to this Waterloo Road podcast. I love Waterloo Road. I had, uh, I had teachers comment that they were going to listen to it or like it, they were going to listen to it, which sent me into a bit of a panic. <laughs> I, to st- I, I can't name names. You messaged me like, have I mentioned any teachers? can't name names I'm going to just like edit them in I think yeah yeah just randomly <laughs> drop names <laughs> that'd be like um, a quite cool serial style podcast which is like I accidentally name I accidentally name drop some scandal that happened at my school which one of my teachers then listens to and then they have to go and reinvestigate this scandal <laughs> 15 years ago yes, well there we are so this episode opens with um sad jack he's the first to arrive at the school he's in sort of semi-casual clothing yeah he's he's clearing out his desk and looking solemnly at his name on the office door also like one of the things he clears from his desk which was tidy in the last episode this really feels like half a job um (laughs) it's like a trophy of a gladiator what did did he get that for what does that's for um most frequent punching of children Okay, cool. I thought it was like fighting in a coliseum. I don't know how the North works. <laughs> you can't move in the North for uh, amphitheatres. <laughs> I was just really talking about it. Like, of all the trophies he has, he has a, one of like a gladiator stood in a coliseum. I was like, there must be like a little engraving on there for something that he's won, but I can't think of what is applicable. Who would be like, if, if there were gladiatorial contests in the North, who would be like the emperor? Well, I feel like it might be Sean Bean. Would it be Sean Bean? <laughs> no, because... Like, I, I'm taking this purely from my reading of Gladiator. Okay. Sean Bean would be the hero who liberates the region from one of our tyrannical rules. Oh, so, so Andrew Treneman is what you're saying. <laughs> Andrew Treneman is like, you know, Southern boy goes north. Yeah. And just misunderstands everything, has people fighting Coliseums, and then Sean Bean comes in and saves it all. Yeah, or, 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 or Trenny Man, as he was called in the last episode. Northernness of the episode, I do appreciate the fact that I don't think the actor who plays Jack is a northern actor. And I know this because <laughs> every now and then he'll just say one word, so northern. 
<laughs> I, I, right, you haven't told me. Are you talking about books? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's back in a classroom. He just, like, he just talks normally and he goes, right, right, pick up your books. <laughs> Yeah, it it it, it, I, it bumped for me as well. I was like, oh, that's it. It's like, yeah, if, if one of every eight words, it's like when someone says you can speak an Aussie accent by phrasing everything as a question. That's not true. <laughs> if I do, if I, if I do ooh really deep, and I'm doing a northern accent. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, also at the school on this, yeah, presumably weekend, as you say, are um, are Roger and Andrew. They're talking about the new discipline procedure at the school. Um, to which Roger says, go in tough, ease up later, to which I just wrote, title your sex tape. <laughs> this is going to be a BBC acquaintance podcast. I wanted to call it go in tough, ease up later, the Waterloo Road podcast, but you wouldn't let me. <laughs> a long and winding epirode. <laughs> um, so uh, in, in that phrase, he's like, you go hard on the students, the faculty and the parents. Does he want to spell the parent? I think he does. Yes, I think. But I think that his level of aggression towards the parents is that he sent them behavioural agreements to sign. Okay, that's that's where I think we're at with that. What I find odd about this framing is we're still we're existing in series one Waterloo Road, whereas series two starts with Jack saying we had a hundred percent improvement in our A to C's. We've got A levels for the first time. It's like stuff is really really coming up. Yes. Then you have this kind of person come in who is like. I, I watched a TV show about this place and it was really bad. So we're going to, we're going to discipline that place rather than this. They've really, because they've been focusing a bit more on the inner teacher drama and how much unions are terrible. <laughs> they've kind of forgotten to spend time reiterating just how terrible the children are. I know at the end of the last series, someone tried to burn a teacher alive. I get that. That's bad. It's abnormal for most schools, but Still, just reintroduce the idea that this is a school of badly behaved children before you go all... It really reminded me of, um, I think it's series two, episode one of Game of Thrones, where they send out a they send out the King's Guard to murder all of the uh, children. Who yes. Might be uh, one of Robert Baratheon's children. And it's just like the kind of reign of terror they paint Aspinall and Trenaman having picked... Having, dealt in their short time in charge really yes i mean so we started series one by introducing a zero tolerance policy for violence against teachers we're now just introducing a zero tolerance policy for children in general zero tolerance policy against children yes yeah this this school is not for you so you can be excluded in this world for the the slightest infraction um so uh mika in the fallout from from last week uh, presumably Leanne, we're not told, uh, at least at this point. Someone has created a, a hate website for Mika, which is, oh, it's incredibly naughty, this website, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if Mika should be too upset about the website, given its horrific design and use of grammar. Yes. Did you, uh, do you remember TextSpeak? <sighs> yeah. It's not, it's not really a thing that exists now. I've, because... Uh, yeah, how old am I? I'm... <laughs> How old am I? I'm 27. Am I? Yeah. I'm 27 and you're 25. Yeah. So we haven't actually done tech speak in 10, 12 years. We don't know. It might still be a thing, but with how much easier typing has gotten. Well, that's what I think it is. So when, um, you like, you know me, this is entirely in character for me. I always refused tech speak. Obviously. Yeah. That's that, that is entirely on brand for me. Um, 
But uh, the reason for text speak, obviously, was that you used to have to type the number a certain amount of times to get a particular letter, and it would take a long time to to it's write something. Like isn't built by a mobile. <laughs> no. <laughs> Exactly. And so there was a period where that text speak, which was invented for for utilitarian reasons, spread into message boards and stuff. And so you would you would type in, in text speak. But the rise of autocorrect and uh, predictive text, as it was once called, um, meant that you didn't have to do that. And so it's like this, this sort of period of maybe between five and ten years where text speak was a thing. And it certainly from what I can see, has just been eradicated. Yeah. There's just lots of Fs in inks when it's just no need for it. <laughs> like, even my, like, nine-year-old brother sends WhatsApp messages in complete sentences because there's just no need for text speak now. Yeah. Savages. Savages. <laughs> but yeah, the, the text speak on this website, along with the animated GIFs and garish colour scheme, is pretty grim. Not a great website. <laughs> it has it has mid noughties MySpace vibes, mm-hmm. with uh, the horrors of automatic background music, and <laughs> which when I was on MySpace was all of the people in my school attempting to become rappers. Oh, was it? See, yes, you're up in the in the Midlands. Yeah, I have fond memories of Eliminator MC and his MySpace page. We didn't really do MySpace. We had Bebo. And that was kind of like an arms race to see how emo you could be. I had some really emo backgrounds. And I remember the day I joined Bebo, the top video was Avril Lavigne, Girlfriend. That is a cracking song. Tom. <laughs> Avril Lavigne's Girlfriend is a masterpiece. Tom. <laughs> I can only hope that it eventually will turn up in an episode of Waterloo Road. Oh, Law of averages suggests it must. <laughs> it's so on the nose, it must appear. <laughs> I'm hoping they just break with any sense of it and just turn it into a musical number. Is there a musical episode of Waterloo Road? <laughs> Not to my knowledge. Oh. Not that I can recall. Um, Brett Aspinall would have had a very emo Bebo page, I feel. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Just lots of talk of his vinyl collection. Yeah. <laughs> Spent some time in my den today. God, dad just doesn't understand. Part if you hate your parents. <laughs> yes, exactly. Absolutely. Um, so we go to the, the new domestic bliss of uh, Lorna, Tom and Izzy, where Lorna seems to be a fairly early adopter to the sourdough craze, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, so she got there first. They had vinyl and sourdough. <laughs> but then I think, um, doesn't Izzy, like, does Izzy, are you PMSing her own daughter in this scene? I think she does. So, like, Megan walks in with, like, she's clearly upset about something, and Izzy's just like, it's just hormones. It's yeah. Like, oh. Get woke, Izzy. She, well, she says, it, doesn't she suggest it's something to do with a boy, and if it isn't, then it must be hormones? Yeah. Oh, Izzy. Izzy, Izzy, Izzy. Um, So Kim is on her way to the school uh, when she is met by Lewis Seddon, who sort of menaces her while she's in her car. Uh, There's talk about how he has now got an ASBO, which means he's not allowed near the school. But due to the new uh, exclusion policy, Seddon now has a sort of balmy army of friends who go around terrorising the neighbourhood. Yeah, what we see is the complete 
destruction of Rochdale Town Centre by an army of youths. Yes. In this, uh, in this episode. We, yes, we, we absolutely do. Um, so Andrew uh, takes Janice's phone off her because it goes off while he's in the corridor with her. Um, Lorna then shows up to Andrew and basically gives her approval for the Roger Aspinall project and flirts with Andrew. Nice. Uh, meanwhile, Mika is sort of freezing Brett out because she doesn't know who who started the website, but she's kind of narrowed it down to Leanne or Brett. Um, and so she's very cold with Brett. He wants to sort of uh, ask her out, but but she's very, very against it. She's against everyone at this point. This is where the whole them, like, not explaining how much time has passed in each episode really bothers me. Because, like, how many children has... Andrew been able to exclude, um, which means there's now a gang of roving children on the streets. Um, and also, like, Brett and Mika seem to have had a three-year relationship crammed into one episode. <laughs> that took place over a day. Mm-hmm. All of these episodes always happen over one day, but yet they just give you, like, huge swathes of time in between. They're just like, well, what's happened here? And, like, the, the drama with which Mika and Be- Brett handle themselves for people who as far as we as an audience know have spent one day together where brett failed to get her to take her clothes off (laughs) yes um yeah it's a strange one isn't it we don't know how long has passed between the what we assume was a weekend situation and the school day where we rejoin the action Mm -hmm. but in, in the intervening period a gang of feral children has been unleashed upon rochdale good god it's become a sort of, you know, teenage Mad Max. Yeah. It's, a, it, it's an odd one. Um, so Jack is back in the classroom. He is, perhaps surprisingly, not an English teacher, but a history oh, teacher. Jack going to go teach English, but yeah, he teaches, teaches history. He's a very angry history teacher. Who saw that coming? Yeah, I know. And I am really, really happy for his reaction to when Brett, everyone knew this guy is a 17-year-old. He was like... It's all about the Industrial Revolution. He goes, the uh, birth of immoral capitalism. <laughs> yes. So first of all... You, you could vaguely hear Kim applauding from a nearby corridor. <laughs> first of all, Brett, the Industrial Revolution was in 1900. Immoral capitalism existed a long time before that. <laughs> right? I believe the slave trade might have an argument to yeah. make that it was the, the origins of the immoral capitalism thing. But then just, like, to shout that out loud in a classroom... May. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's just like I was talking about this in the first series. It's like you know, people like te- in this show, you don't want a teacher to punch a child, but there are children you want the teacher to punch. Yeah, yeah. It's just like you just give him just a little really. <laughs> Definitely. Um, in my class. <laughs> so Janice steals back her phone, um, and Izzy has a conversation with Lorna where she sort of hints to Lorna that it might be best if she leaves. Um, Lorna at this point says, yeah, that's fine. I'll find a way to leave. Um, and she says that she believes Andrew fancies her. Okay. Well, it, it's an interesting thing to get from that one conversation, but sure. Yeah, I'd like to have a conversation with you about, you know, the school. <laughs> he, he wants it. <laughs> he definitely, definitely wants it. Um, so Mika is in uh, Steph's French class. Um She's very angry about various things. Um, Leanne makes some sort of crack. Why did Mika take French? <laughs> bad at French. This makes no sense. 
<laughs> so Leanne makes some sort of crack about Mika getting loads of help from the teacher she lives with. Steph makes some sort of crack about Brett and Mika and some sort of threesome. Yeah. It's very, she says that, oh, I'd like to come along and talk French with you as well. It's very odd. I think my wanting teachers to punch children is more inappropriate than that. No. No. Um, Tom is very upset about the prospect of Lorna staying for much longer. Um, he quite brilliantly says, I wouldn't put it past her taking turns at breastfeeding, suggesting that she'll still be around when the baby shows up. Tom has a real irrational fear of Lorna's manipulative powers. Which we have seen none of. No. We discussed this, but like, so... The, the only time Lorna is able to persuade Tom of anything is in episode one where she wears lingerie and they have sex. Yeah. And so she hasn't tried that yet, Tom. But, <laughs> but like, again, we as a viewer have started to see some questionable, like, some questionable from the show, um, like, views at her as, like, a manipulator. Yes. But Tom, as far as we're concerned, Tom has seen none of it. Tom fell out of love with her because she wanted to plan a wedding. And then he fell in love with Izzy because she yelled and disparaged Vin Man. Uh, <laughs> like, we don't know why Tom is convinced that Lorna is a manipulator. There's nothing that she's done. Well, actually, now I think about it, she didn't tell him about the baby until after they got married. So they know they got married for the right reasons. But yeah, but he was angry at that because, I don't know, he felt like he'd been... It wasn't clear, really. <laughs> yeah, I just don't, I don't see Lorna as arch manipulator here. Yeah. So like, just, I think he's, I think the show wants us to be like, you get her, Tom. Yeah, because that's it, because that's what we talked about in the last series, was that they didn't spend any time on establishing Tom and Lorna because the end game was Tom and Izzy, and they just had to get there. Yeah. And so because the show likes Tom and Izzy, we're supposed to inherently want to side with them rather than Lorna, who has oh, inveigled her way back into their lives. She's supposed to be in Australia with a didgeridoo. So uh, Steph talks to Mika after the lesson. Um, uh, Mika denies she's being bullied. She says there's nothing wrong. Um, Dante uh, rings Janice's phone so that Andrew can see she's stolen it back. Andrew decides that he has to get rid of Janice now because of his zero tolerance policy, despite the very touching affection they have for each other. In the grand scheme of things, not the worst thing Dante's done. No, no. We've got an, like considering the school wanted him strung up on a tree. Yeah. Ago, I people have gotten past you know the deaths that he's caused. <laughs> just just the one death in his defence. Right, the death and coma he's caused. Yeah. Uh, really quite easily. Of, of which he has been convicted and sentenced by a court of law. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like there's a grey area. <laughs> it, was, it was his fault. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Whatever. Um, so, oh, yeah. Shopkeeper. We now get the shopkeeper. And so the shopkeeper um, is played by an actor called Dennis Conlon. And I've written that down because in the scheme of, you know, if you're playing a, a one episode role in a, a BBC drama like this, you have to maximise your minutes. And no one has maximised their minutes like Dennis Conlon, who is acting with a capital A, C, T, I, N and G in this episode. He struggles. <laughs> God bless you, Dennis Conlon, you fabulous man. 
he struggles. I imagine if you found a video of my uh, GCSE uh, drama performance, it's probably something a little bit quieter than his performance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so um, Lewis and his band of yobs uh, come into the shop. Um, they uh, they try and get hold of some alcohol. They're turned down because they don't have the right ID. Um, they suggest on... There's a lot of focus in this series on things being videoed on mobile phones. Yeah, I think like so they do it here. Some one of Lewis's friends is videoing because Lewis is going, "Oh, he won't serve me because I'm white," um, and there's all sorts of stuff about that. They they steal some steal some alcohol. They kind of mess the shop up a bit, um, and yeah, leave the shop, which leads Mr. Patel to phone the school. This episode has probably two of my favourite bits of Waterloo Road logic in it. So, the uh, students in the shop cover the CCTV camera. They do film it all on their phone. Love that. And after it's quite clear for Mr. Patel that they are about to either threaten him physically or steal something, they jump over the counter, they start messing things up, and you hear him really calmly kind of say, Come on now, this is my living. I say, That's gonna talk them down. They're like, Yeah, we're gonna we're use, we're gonna run around terrorizing everything. But actually, once he makes a simple case to us about how this is how he pays for his mortgage, we're all going to step back. And I then... think, in fairness to Mr. Patel, who I'm, I'm rapidly making a case for as the greatest incidental character in the show's history, um, I think it's a, a sort of desperate attempt in, in his powerless state at this point to go, this is all I can say now, there's nothing more I can do. But like, it's just everything, but he's like, come on now, this is my living. I'll take the piss. And then he calls the school. He does call the school. Police, you've been robbed. <laughs> well, we later learn that the, the, the police can't, can't really do anything to put a long-term end to this. Um, so uh, Andrew goes over to, to Kim and says, I'm going to have to um, exclude Janice. Uh, she's stolen from my office. Um, she's broken this rule. At which point Kim absolutely lays into both Andrew and Roger in quite glorious fashion. Not for the last time in this episode. No, no, she's she's quite escalating. It's just another nice uh, moment for us to have a fiery left and right debate with all of, with, with the nuance left out of it. <laughs> the statistics show she's like, give them cuddles. <laughs> yes, there there are only binaries in in, in Waterloo Road. Um, so Andrew has got this call from uh, Mr. Patel. Um, he goes to Jack and says, uh, I need your backup, Jack. Oh, you know, and Jack's like, no, I'm not going to help you. You're in charge of this. And Andrew goes, Lewis Seddon's there. And Jack immediately fills with fiery rage. Kill Bill. Yes. <laughs> I just love the, I like the logic of trying to be like, Jack, you're my backup. I think the tri- child who tried to murder you and you attacked twice is there. <laughs> we need some calm heads in this situation. So I want to add the only person that this child's had a physical confrontation with to the mix. <laughs> I really like the way it's shot when they do the confrontation because the kids are on one corner of the frame. The car comes in. Andrew gets out of the car and the kids go, Hooray! and then Jack gets out of the car and Seddon just in the corner. You just see him disappear around the corner. <laughs> it's beautifully done because Seddon, he knows that Jack does not take any crap from anyone. He knows he's not a student anymore and he's allowed to lamp him as much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Steph Haydock with a fire extinguisher could be anywhere. 
I know it would ruin like the actual like narrative, but for the visual gag of Lewis Eden turning around and Steph lamps. <laughs> be fantastic that should be steph's role to just show up with a fire extinguisher fire extinguisher at all times yeah steph is armed with a fire, fire extinguisher and her rampant sexuality <laughs> it's, it's not clear which one is more terrifying <laughs> or indeed dangerous to children um, and we kind of get mr patel's scene we we do. Wow. Mr. Patel kind of details his plight to Jack and Andrew. And he, as I said, Mr. Conlon just goes for it. He gives it everything he's got to say that, you know, the plight of this shopkeeper and how little you can do in this world when the kids are being allowed to run ragged. They should be sat on their bums learning stuff. They should not be running riot in the neighbourhood. The police can do nothing. The CCTV is £8,000 a year to, to set it all up. It's an incredibly heavy-handed scene that culminates in him just saying, no one can run a business here now. And it just cuts to the street. <laughs> but like, the thing is, is like, the material he's given is not great. No. He has been given a list of talking, like, if you were to have a debate in Parliament about the merits of exclusion, he is given the list of the opposite side's talking points. Yeah. Which I think are all the correct ones. They all have a lot of merit, but there's no, like... There's no, they've gone, right, here are the two sides of the argument for exclusions because it reduces, et cetera, in schools, and then not for exclusions because of this impact on the community and teachers should be working with children, et cetera. But it's like, you get a list of talking points, they've picked them up and put them in the script and not related them at any point to Mr. Mattel's lived experience. So he's just like rattling off, like, you know, he's, I am but a humble shopkeep. However, yes. children should be educated in schools to reduce the amount of um, crime that happens on the streets in their local area. And who, who but a teacher is there to educate children? <laughs> Bless Mr. Patel. What a man. Um, so we get a, a conversation between um, uh, Kim, uh, not Kim, sorry, between Mika and Leanne in the playground. Leanne says... Um, not much play happened in this playground. No, very little. Congregation area. Yeah, congregation area. Slash car park. <laughs> I'm glad they've stamped out the choreographed dancing. Um, but yeah, it's just like the kids just all hang out in the car park, which I find odd. A fun game for anyone listening to this podcast. You can tell when we're recording them by which previous jokes we call back to, because that will be the episode that was just released. It's <laughs> a good nine weeks for people here this one. Yes. Yeah. We were asking them to remember what we said. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they have this conversation. Leanne says she threatens to leak the topless picture of Mika on the website. Mika slaps her in the face in full view of Kim, who obviously um, intervenes and takes Mika to one side. They have a conversation. Mika has obviously been living with Tom Clarkson too long because she declares that she wants to quit school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good to have the family quitting things. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be done. Got to be done. Um, meanwhile, Lorna and Tom are having one of their trademark tense lunches together. <laughs> How many episodes have included Tom telling Lorna it isn't working? <laughs> Over a lunch. She's <laughs> <laughs> so much like, isn't working, Lorna. I just want them to be like an episode, like I want them to be like in the house. And then Lorna says, do I change the channel? He just presses the right. It isn't working, Lorna. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow he has a sandwich. <laughs> Um, Lorna again is um, 
I think we're supposed to think, oh, she's so affable and friendly, she must be deceiving him. Yeah. I just, she's framed, she's just being deliberately framed in a way where when it gets to the point where she's obviously being framed to have like had some plot, when we get there, that's not going to have made sense. No. No. Um, also in the pub is Grantley, who is there with Bill Winslow, who is the union rep. And even if they didn't say he was a union rep, you could take one look at him and go, I bet he's the union rep. <laughs> Again, it's just that kind of like, you know, the show likes to articulate left and right viewpoints of education. But like, what did a union ever do to the writers of the show? <laughs> so Grantley wants to sort of stage a mass walkout in the English department in his favour. Um Tom's not keen to facilitate this. Um, it's Tom, fair to say. The episode has described the English department is stretched to breaking point. <laughs> We've only got 46 English teachers left. <laughs> but I mean, as, as Kim rightly points out, they're on their way to having the best pupil teacher ratio in the country. <laughs> we have one, one teacher per pupil at the moment. <laughs> Um, so Kim is now having a conversation with Leanne to get her side of the story. Leanne um, lies and says that they went to Brett's house and that Mika tried to initiate a threesome, which neither she nor Brett were keen on. The way I grew up was very different. <laughs> no, no one talks about the idea of that when you were that old. No. Like, how does Kim not just go, what? <laughs> well, what Kim actually does is goes to talk to Izzy and suggests that she parent her kids better, basically. Uh, like, the thing I find, um, like, quite funny about that is, like, Izzy takes really umbrage. Like, don't tell me how to parent my ch- children. It's just like, Izzy, your, your other child admitted to causing the death of yeah. <laughs> Like, six months ago. Yeah. If anyone needs coaching on parenting their children, you do. <laughs> Well, then they get the they do the thing they always do with Izzy, where they go, "Oh, you've got a lot on your plate at the moment." And really, compared to last year, it's plain sailing for Izzy. Yeah, I know she's like she's she's pregnant, but she's not having an affair or trying to keep her child out of prison. Yeah, or trying to get her husband, her ex husband, off the roof. Exactly. You know, it's <laughs> it's actually quite a nice time for Izzy, really, as nice as times ever get for her. Um, so uh, Andrew at this point is telling Lorna that he wants her to be head of English now that Grantley has gone. Lorna's an English teacher as well, apparently. <laughs> yes, she is. Um, there are some sort of references throughout this episode, and there's one here to uh, Andrew uh, questioning with Roger where the, the money is that's supposed to be funding various parts of the school. Yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, as you pointed out in the uh, the last episode... I don't know how much money you can make from these small components for aircraft and whether it can buy you millions of pounds worth of school. Yeah, I don't, it really doesn't. And like, there's a a bit of something in this episode where I just don't understand that no one who makes this understands how schools work. (laughs) Because he's like, we're going to have kids queuing around the block to get here. Like, no, not. We're (laughs) Well, there's, it's interesting because they've, like we said in the last episode, the sponsor governor thing changes on a minute by minute basis. Yeah. So when he was first introduced, Kim was like, oh, he's buying a slice of the school. Uh, now he is just running the school. He has absolute control. <laughs> uh, it's just, I, you know, maybe if they kind of lent into the rest of the governors, kind of be like, because 
governors are basically made up. There's some like teacher representatives, there's parent representatives. And then I think back then there were people from the council. I don't really know. Um, but yeah, I Google it like government spot, like governor sponsors, like people from the local community who are interested in helping the school in which ways they could. But it was like with, you know, when you had PTA days, they would be the kind of, you know, sponsors of that. And they'd like give money for events and stuff like that. Not just a bloke building a brand new school. I was like, what does he expect? Do you expect to build a brand new school and parents from across the country are going to start moving to within that catchment area? I think that's what he's going for, yes. Everyone's going to up and move to Rochdale because there's a really nice school there named after this man who makes bolts for parents. I, I hear it's got windows that shut, interactive whiteboards and a swimming pool. <laughs> a computer in every classroom. And a computer in every classroom. I was going to say, at this point is where we get back-to-back kooks. We do... Um, most notably when Mr. Patel shows up and just gives it both barrels and just lobs food around. I don't understand. I don't understand what he's achieving. But he's doing it till she moves in her own way. And what more can you want? <laughs> that is an odd song choice as well. <laughs> it doesn't make the first bit of sense. <laughs> it, doesn't. it doesn't work on a lyrical level, on a tune level. <laughs> On a tone level. <laughs> oh my god! It's just sort of there. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's, it's just a indie rock song. Yeah, it's fair to say that Kim Kim reacts to this in a very Kim way, in that she declares with apparently no irony in her voice, "Look, we are the enemy now," and then calls Roger a moron. <laughs> Um, it, it's uh, so at this point, Roger says, "No one talks to me like that," and he basically instructs uh, Andrew that Kim should follow uh, Grantley out the door. We know how Andrew feels about Kim. He immediately goes absolute white knight for her, um, and then Roger says, "Incredibly creepy." He says, "I hope she is very grateful," as if to suggest, "I hope she sleeps with you for this." Men, yeah. Uh, yeah, that might actually be just the most aptly written part of the entire show. It's it's very unpleasant. Um, yeah. But ju- but just before this, we're getting a lovely scene where uh, Janice is doing really well in her English class. Lorna wants to put her in for the higher level GCSE paper because she's done a really good essay out of Mice and Men. Um, like, that's very good. But the high level English paper is not for people who get Bs. Well, yes, it is, because the foundation-level paper, you could only get a C maximum. So if you were going to get a B, you would do the higher paper. I do not understand how schools work at all. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly when I was doing GCSEs, that was how it worked. I don't know now that you get a grade between one and pi or something. (laughs) Numbers now. I remember watching that film, um, Patrick. Uh, yes, the dog film, the pug. Yes, and I was just utterly, utterly confused. They're like, "I got a one." I was like, "What does that mean?" I, like, I got, an, I got an eight. I didn't know whether it was up or down was good or bad. So I have I no like, idea. Are all of these children failing? Are all of them doing really well? I don't yeah. understand. Need the film to sort of bring in Michael Gove to explain his reforms to you. Um. So, yeah, Janice is, is doing really well, but she's about to be excluded. Uh, it's really sad. We've seen Dante come in and sort of try and Spartacus her way out of it by going, it was me. Earlier in the episode, like, it was like she really laid it on. She's like, 
And Janine's like, whoever called me basically just cut my throat. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what she's... This, we're back to an eye for an eye, Janice. <laughs> like, no wonder she's just so well on her English paper. She's got a real flair. That's it. She loves violent imagery. <laughs> Next week, Lorna's going to be like saying, I like the essay, Janice, but can we like, calm down on the blood and guts? <laughs> it's grotesque. Um, but yeah. Eight pages on just one limb being chopped off. <laughs> I've never read the word sinew in a GCSE. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe that's why she loves dinosaurs. It's their capacity for violence. So, um, yeah, we've seen Dante sort of try and Spartacus her way out of it. But ultimately, Andrew decides that on this occasion, um, he's going to let Janice off and let her stay. Um, And this is supposed to be Andrew turning, you know, turning back to the way of the good um, defending Kim, letting Janice off, and standing up to Roger. Uh, Andrew is also, uh, as it happens, standing up to Grantley Budgeon, who has shown up with Bill Winslow from the Union, and he wants reinstatement, compensation, and an apology from the bully. And Andrew says, no, come at me, Grantley. Grantley claims he's being discriminated against. What do people think discrimination means? Yeah, we never got any grounds for that. Like, we didn't get anything towards ageism or anything like that. Yeah. Like, you're a bad teacher and you're drunk on your job. And the thing is as well, is like, you can accept him maybe throwing that around, but the guy next to him is a union rep. The union rep has dealt with discrimination in the workplace. This was not discrimination. An old white man can't walk into an office and say, I've been discriminated against. No, I think we're, su- we're, we're, supposed, we're supposed to see Grantley's concerns as trivial, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, but he's unioned. Yes. He's, he's wielding his evil union sword. Uh, yeah, that's it. People with unions are to be feared. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's just this whole thing, which is just like, look at the incompetent malevolence of this man and look at the union that backs him. <laughs> Bill Winslow, the symbol of everything that's wrong with the world. <laughs> it's like the um, that Simpsons gag with Lionel Hutch. He's like, can you Im- a world without lawyers? Can you imagine it? And it's like everyone walking around in rain. <laughs> <laughs> and this whole arc is just like, a world without unions? Can you imagine it? It's just like children dancing through <laughs> all of their A's in a school. <laughs> um, so uh, Steph at this point wants to go out with Jack. Steph deploys some more of her fantastic French, so she's cooking steak frites. <laughs> like, Steph, Steph saved Jack's life, granted. Yes. But, like, she wants sex in return. She, she does. I'm she really... also she also threatened to have him done for sexual harassment. I know. I, like the thing is, like she doesn't. She, there's no irony in her mind between her uh, m- several months ago threatening him for sexual harassment and now wanting sex in return for the act that she's bestowed upon him. Well, I'm really glad that isn't the way we support our carers on a Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> the applause would go on for ages. <laughs> Yeah, clap for carers is perhaps not the right way we want to go in that respect. <laughs> clap? People don't use the word clap in that context. Anyway. They don't. I think we should bring it back. <laughs> bring back the clap. <laughs> <laughs> Give everyone the clap. Uh, yeah. I don't feel like we've ever existed. Like I feel like I've watched... We've never existed. I feel like I watched things like the 90s and 80s where people referred to the clap in that way. But I don't think anyone in my life has ever said out loud, I've got the clap. No, I just needed it for the pun. (laughs) 
Um, so, uh, yeah, Jack's going out with Davina. Steph makes multiple cracks about why anyone would want to go out with someone half their age. He does not look half Jack's age. No, well, I mean, if you're a... You can understand why in his 40s Jack Rimmer wants to go out with beautiful Davina Shackleton. Yeah. It's, it, it's not a difficult equation. <laughs> but she's clearly not half his age. I no. Have, it's like, I feel like they wrote the script and then cast the actress afterwards and went, this needs no adjustment. <laughs> We, we've clearly we clearly hired someone who is age appropriate for Jack, <laughs> and but in the scripts we have a few jibes about you know the fact that she's not age appropriate and we're going to keep it and we're just going to ask the audience to buy it. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, Steph uh, at this point discovers Mika who is crying in the bathroom because she's seen that the hate site is promoting the topless photos will be coming soon. Um, Steph's solution is to take Mika to the pub. Yes, that's that's good. That's responsible. In Which a, is in a school uniform. I don't get served now. Yeah, the, the the sad thing about this is that the episode frames it as a very good action by Steph. That what she's done in taking Mika to the pub for a chat is good. But no, you're in the school. Just go to your classroom for this chat. <laughs> it's just the pub. She, but she phrases it when she says, "Can you handle half a cider?" Which yeah. what I think a seventeen-year-old is allowed to drink. Isn't uh, that only with a meal, though? All right, don't just quote the first episode of The Inbetweeners back in <laughs> But no, that's the reason they use it in The Inbetweeners is because that's the one thing every, like, 17-year-old knows. It's like, well, if I'm having a meal, I'm allowed a cider. Well, yeah, but you have to think that like, The Inbetweeners was, like, six years after this as well, so rules probably changed. You know, I, probably every 17... Like, the teachers were at the pub at lunch. Every 17-year-old was probably half-cut all the time. <laughs> well, as long as you only have one pint at lunchtime. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was, I was really just, you know, disappointed by that. She walks in in a school uniform, being seventeen, and gets served. I don't get served now. <laughs> There's a strange interaction at this point between Kim and Andrew, where Andrew strides out there, presumably with Roger's promise that Kim would sleep with him ringing in his ears. Um, and, and he says, "Oh, I've I've told Roger where to go. I've said I don't want the the headship job anymore." Um, what do you think of that? And Kim goes, no, I'm, I'm tired of you. To which he reacts horribly. Yeah, what's it? It's just... But he I calls think, her, like, holier than thou. He is holier than thou. <laughs> she doesn't live in any reality. Like, she tries to... He doesn't live in... Neither of them live in the reality of where they're working. So, like, obviously, again... They need to meet in the middle yeah. <laughs> to actually get what the school needs. But she understands the context of where they're all living and he understands like how a school can raise standards yeah. and neither of them understand each other. So like, but she is holier than thou, but that's fine because it's kind of like she, he needs her to be holier than thou otherwise he just wouldn't have a clue what's happening at any point. <laughs> that's very true. Um, so Steph's reaction to... So um, Mika confides in Steph what's happened to her. Um, Steph admits she was also bullied. Um, and Steph bizarrely said her main bit of advice is that you're going to have to be slyer than her and more ruthless, which is an odd bit of advice to give a child dealing with a bullying situation. Yeah. This goes nowhere good. 
But the, the but the show is portraying it as if this is great stuff from Steph. <laughs> Taking the kid to have a drink and suggesting she fight fire with fire. Janice, I'm sure, would be very happy with that approach. <laughs> Janice, Janice would have a more colourful way of saying it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like you need to you need to skin her to the bone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we are, we are meant to believe that this pep talk from Steph is the, exactly what Mika needs. Yes. Rather than Steph doing the appropriate thing as a teacher and saying, right, I'm actioning this in all of the correct places. We'll get the site taken down. We'll have all of the suspected students expelled. All good. You know, the ben- there is a benefit to you living with three of your teachers and having me take you drinking. <laughs> she does. In- like Steph does in fair to say that, that, this is something that Mr. Treneman will deal with properly. He's, the, words, the words she says, he's not a flake like Mr. Rimmer. <laughs> so, so, yeah, she suggests that the exclusion rule will, will work in Mika's favour this time. Um, Jack's on his date with Davina. They appear to be in some sort of, like, club. Where these people go? Uh, it's I, very odd. Yeah, I think they clearly use the same set as the Italian restaurant from the first <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. Um, Roger calls Jack while they're on the date. Um, Roger wants him back as head. Jack sort of, you know, plays him for a bit and says, maybe I don't want it. But he eventually takes the job. Um, Jack and Davina are talking about Roger. Davina reveals she knows a lot about him um, and reveals that his factory doesn't actually make a penny. Well, which, yeah, we, we all saw. Mm. I mean, it's obviously a crook. Particularly with the, the constant references in this episode to where's the money, Mr. Aspinall? Yeah, I feel like it was a very kind of like, I don't know, there was like a story that people had in the noughties quite a lot where like people would you know, appear uh, like, you know, public things or, you know, schools and be like, I can promise you this. I can promise mm. you this. It feels like a sort of, it's a very like pre-recession thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you kind of see like documentaries on Channel Five about these people who would like, hey, they turned up at this hospital and promised to build a new hospital next to it, and then the twist was is that they lived in a basement. Yeah, <laughs> it was they just everyone just blindly trusted anyone who turned up in a role. <laughs> they were just like, ah, you have all of the financial need, need necessary. To totally build a school with your own name on it. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the that's the the final shot of the episode. But the parallel story um, is that uh, um, Lorna and Tom and Izzy. There's a whole situation. Uh, Tom wants to get rid of Lorna, but she sort of seems to go a bit blurry, as if she's going to go faint and and pass out. Um, and and so we're not quite sure what's happening there. But it's clear that something is happening with Lorna beyond the the fakery we saw last week. Yeah, but what does Mika have against Lorna? We, we do not know. My question in this, like, what does Mika, like, yeah. I can't help but feel like everyone's just, like, everyone is treating a different version of Lorna than the audience has ever been introduced to. Yes. So we're just like, of course Lorna's acting out. Look how they're treating her. Yeah, it, it seems like Lorna acts in each scene specifically in a way to make the character in that scene hate her. Yeah. Um, and And... We're supposed to just assume that every character hates her, even though, as you say, we've never really seen a reason why any of them hate her to this degree. Mm-hmm. But so the next time trailer suggests more horrors from Steph Haydock, who appears to have got interrogator. Yeah, rather than, you know, following the proper channels, 
She's like locking children in classrooms and being like, right, which one of you did it? Yeah. There's more fallout of the, the, the topless picture. And then we get the suggestion that Lorna and Andrew and Jack and Davina are going to get together. Just such a lovely heteronormative little school, isn't it? <laughs> Other than the one gay kid we met in the last series. Yeah, yeah. Who... And, the two, and the two gay men of Rochdale who wander around canals trying to rescue people if they jump in. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're quietly written out or never referred to again. <laughs> so, but like, I called it from the start, that PA was never safe around Jack. What, is, what do you reckon it is about Jack? The kind of, you know... I think about this a lot, actually, while watching the show. <laughs> what? While watching the show. I just thought you meant when you walked around. <laughs> and... What? <laughs> Jack Grimmer so sexually enticing. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Because he's not, like, he's not unattractive, I wouldn't say. He's not an unattractive man, no. But he's not, like... I mean, he's no Tom Clarkson. <laughs> No, but that's the thing. Like, if I, you know, if I was a teenager in that school and I had to thirst over one of him, one of Jack or Tom, it'd be Jack. I think it's the like the bravado that Jack has. Jack storms into a room and he's just like, right, well, give me a child I can punch and a woman I can seduce. Yeah, that's, that's his two levels. I think yeah, that, but, that energy is what carries him through. Because, like, we've talked about this before. What Jack has, what we would now call sort of like toxic, fragile, macho angst. Yeah, yeah. But what then was often portrayed as sort of sexy machismo and like. Yeah, yeah. I come in, I get things done. I yeah. Upset, and that has like a kind of allure. Yeah. Bish bash bosh, get Brexit done, bonga bob for a big Ben bong, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I really like. I don't know how what's happened to me, but I feel like I might start spending lockdown reading up about the history of sponsor governors. <laughs> you, this this element has really stuck in your craw in a way that just like in the last episode we had like a represent in the last series we had a representative of the local authority inspecting the school to make sure everything was fine, and now we just have one businessman given absolute power. Just some charlatans walked in waving like a trinket from a plane, and suddenly he's just been. <laughs> He must be legitimate. He has a model of a school. <laughs> Let's give him the keys. But, but the, yeah, I don't follow that at all. No, it's it's an odd one. Um, but yes, uh, I, what I will say is I'm confident that you will enjoy the continued adventures of Roger Aspinall's dodgy business dealings. Oh, God. It is. I had forgotten because, I, as I said um, when we first started doing this, I rewatched some of Waterloo Road before we started doing this podcast. I got to about series three and then went back again for this. Um, and I, I had forgotten how much fun the Roger Aspinall storyline is. It is. It's. I like the idea that it's like a kind of season two of Breaking Bad thing, and he introduces the bolt from the plane in episode one and the end of the series is that one of the planes that has that bolt falls out of the sky onto the school. <laughs> Spoilers for season two of Breaking Bad. <laughs> if, now, but, so if, if you've not watched it during lockdown, I, I have not watched Breaking Bad during lockdown. No, I keep trying to think I should return to it, but I just never do. I have seen season one of Breaking Bad. I liked it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Place to end. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's where we are with uh, with Waterloo Road. Again, again, I think this series has been is a like a little bit more patient in setting up its key stories 
and I think it is because it's a slightly longer, yeah, like you say, it's a slightly longer run. Um, and, and so drama is all around like school politics. Like the big, the big stories here is who is the head teacher, who is this mysterious benefactor who has seemingly bought the school, who will Jack Rimmer sleep with? <laughs> who will? Well, yeah, exactly. Um, there's a union issue, and there's some like parental drama over. Well, no, there's some teacher drama over is is Lorna's intentions correct right but those are the main kind of things the last the first series opened with a child dying in a car accident and and what's fascinating and we sort of alluded to this a little bit um earlier is the way Dante and Chloe who were the child protagonists of series one are so peripheral yeah fine (laughs) they're just just chilling Dante's calling people it's all great banter (laughs) niece wanted Dante strung up (laughs) Now they're like friends who like, you know, cheekily text each other as a joke to get yeah. them in trouble. It's like, yeah, just the way people forget things. Like that death wasn't that long ago. No. He was found guilty. It was at, 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 at least within a year. It's not, it's not like, like I don't, like, I'm not going to come to this position that Dante doesn't deserve a second chance, right? Because it was an accident and he was found to have caused it. But, you know, it was an accident. But I just find it so odd how there was so much attention paid to him and the fallout from that. It was it was the main story arc of the first series of the show. Yeah, and like there was the um, all of the kind of exclusions going on for like you know uh, your phone's rung twice, gotta get you excluded, and like no one's retrospectively thought should the kid who got someone killed last year should he be <laughs> should he be excluded or should we have him back to sit as GCSEs? Oh. <laughs> Oh, one thing we have not talked about in series two at all is their sick form room. Okay, yeah. How crap is that place? Um, there was a, there's a line in episode one where they walk in and she goes, there's a kettle in here. Kettle and everything. <laughs> oh. the, the everything in that statement seems to be a few empty bookshelves. <laughs> yeah, it's not much of a common room. No. No, it just feels like an adapted library. What was your... Did you do college or sixth form? I did sixth form. Okay, so what was your common room like? Well, I, um, I think we talked about this on the last series. Mine was... It was across two schools because it was an all-boys school and an all-girls school and we united for the sixth form. Oh, um, yeah. So you'd go between the two sites for, for lessons and both common rooms were sort of... They were nicer than the one in Waterloo Road. But they were, yeah, you know, fairly standard. They weren't thrilling places to be, but they were not... Not, yeah... Not unpleasant. No, we had a we had a drinks machine. I don't think we even had a drinks machine. Yeah, it had Dr Pepper in it. I, you know what? Now that we talk about it, I don't think there was even a kettle. No, I think we had a kettle. <laughs> I think we could have gone into the head of Sick Form's office. He was a very chatty bloke, very nice. I think he would let you come and use his kettle in his office if you wanted one. But who does that? <laughs> but we had so we had like a. Uh, computer area for sixth form and then we had the common area which was like sofas, a TV and there was a pool table where people, it was 20p pool has never been so cheap but No, that's incredible Everyone used to get plastic cups and put them in the pockets yeah, so that you could then pick them out again and then we had a little canteen area attached to it and that was where there was the um, the vending machines where I for about a year and a half, fueled myself through the day with one pack of Max Paprika crisps and two bottles of Dr Pepper. <laughs> I was very thin. 
I guess that because for us we were moving between the two we were moving between the two schools and so we could just visit shops in, on, on the way oh yeah yeah <laughs> but we didn't have 20p pool no no it was a luxury <laughs> apparently they used to if the um, the common room got messy they used to just take the pool balls away <laughs> The opulence of Southern England, this is. <laughs> but yeah, so that's where we leave um, Waterloo Road, episode two. Thank you very much for uh, listening. And yes, we will be back next week with more from Rochdale's um, fanciest sixth form common room. There is a kettle and everything. Everything. The everything. Do a lot of lifting. A lot of lifting. I look forward to it. See you then.